0: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Eastern European Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. My name is Yelena Golubovich, and I am a new host on the channel. And joining us today is Adis Maksic from International Birch University in Sarajevo to discuss his new book published last year by Palgrave Macmillan uh, 2017. Uh, the book is titled Ethnic Mobilization, Violence, and the Politics of Affect the Serb Democratic Party, and the Bosnian War. So, uh, thank you for joining us, Adis.
1: Thank you for having me, Elena.
0: So, the sort of standard first question on the network is to tell us about yourself and how you came to write this book.
1: Okay, so, uh, I was... uh... Born and raised in Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia, and it was, uh, I was in my early teens when the Bosnian War happened, so I actually experienced it firsthand. I was trapped in the siege of Sarajevo, ended up escaping to the United States at the age of 15, and I stay, stayed there until a couple of years ago. Uh, in the United States, I got my education at uh, Michigan State University and Virginia Tech University. I obtained my PhD from Virginia Tech in 2014. Uh, right now, I am what you can describe as a returnee. I am back in Bosnia. I'm back in Sarajevo working as professor, as you mentioned, at, in, at International Birch University, uh, where I teach courses in the areas of ethnic politics and political theory. Uh, When it comes to your question about how I came to write this book, well, it's very much connected to this uh, first part, to this introduction, because obviously my experience of the Bosnian war was very uh, intensely personal. It actually resulted in a family tragedy, and that inspired me to look for answers to actually what happened to that age-old question about what drives lifelong friends and neighbors to... Uh, engage in bloodshed against one another all in the name of ethnic nations. And this is exactly what happened uh, in Bosnia. Uh, Maybe more relevant to the actual topic of the book is that my experience of the Bosnian war resulted in a radical transformation of what I felt was my own national identity and also identities of the people around me. It went very fast from being from feeling as a member of a Yugoslav nation to becoming a Bosnian or a Bosniak in a national sense. And it was truly fascinating to me that at one point people in my surroundings would you know, feel as Yugoslavs at, and only a short while later they would be targeted by tanks and artillery for belonging to an ethnic nation that many of them didn't even feel a strong sense of belonging to. And these... Uh, experience has really motivated me to challenge commonplace understandings of what ethnicity and what nationality really are.
0: Wonderful. So the book is written in response to certain tendencies in the literature on the breakup of Yugoslavia. So before we go into the contents of the book, could you explain for listeners what misconceptions exist in that literature that your book is sort of aiming to address?
1: I would say that there are many different uh, uh, misconceptions in main, mainstream understandings, but uh, I would also say that they are united by uh, a common tendency to de- to neglect the uh, the dimension dimension of time. And what I mean here is that ethnic groups are treated as something fixed, almost as if they exist in the world as items in the world out there, independent of. Uh, human construction. And we, in 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 those perceptions, we lose sight of the reality that all identities are uh, produced by social action. They are continuously reshaped, reproduced. Uh, the feelings of group solidarities uh, ebb and flow over time. They vary over time. So, um, Uh, Another aspect, another misconception that is also related to this whole notion, this neglect of the dimension of time, is uh, we can actually see this in Bosnia today. Present-day realities are projected onto the past in order to understand uh, events that happened decades earlier when these realities were quite different. So if we look at Bosnia today, we see dominance of ethnic politics. We see ethnicity everywhere. We see different ethnic territories. Ethnic lines are sharp and visible. And if you look at the Bosnian war and try to understand it, entrenched from this standpoint of today, from this presentism, we will likely have a strong tendency to reduce the conflict to a clash of ethnic groups, which is very easy to do, considering that the war was fought in the name of ethnicity. So, uh, but, you know, as as everything in social sciences, the causes and effects of the Bosnian war are much more complex. And we could say that this groupist understanding that reduces the conflict to a clash of ethnic groups is confusing cause and effect. Uh, A couple of years prior to the Bosnian war, we had this social terrain in which we had multiple overlapping identities and in which ethnicity was uh, much less pronounced and it was much less politically important than it is today. So I argue that it was ethnic politics and the experience of a war, which was devastating for the society, obviously. Uh, that not only homogenized ethnic groups, but also created ethnic consciousness in places where it didn't exist. All of a sudden, uh, people started feeling as Serbs, Croats, and Muslims. Not only those who had those uh, that consciousness uh, prior to these processes, but also um, but also those who didn't have that sense. So I um. So, an uh, an ethnically divided Bosnia that we see today was an outcome of these processes, not a cause. So, to say that ethnicity somehow produced this automatically, or to say that it's all due to some history, historical determinism, to identify cause in that, as we see, for example, in the ancient hatred perspectives, is to, to really cover up, to obscure this key role of ethnic elites in leading Bosnia to violence. And in a way it really absolves them of responsibility and their responsibility was key. Uh, so this really serves to blind ourselves to the importance of these political dy- dynamics that produce divisions at specific times and places. And I believe, and this is what I tried to correct in my analysis, is that it is our duty as scholars to resist this through the, a rigorous analysis and immersion into archives that takes into account these, these self understandings of the time that we are analyzing, and takes into account that these self understandings may be quite different, uh, may have been quite different back then than, than what, than how they are today.
0: Yeah. So one of the main the main premises that you've explained here is that ethno national groups are not stable and they're not natural. They are continuously constructed and they have to be maintained. So I will ask you in a bit about how the SDS, which is the Serb Democratic Party, managed to accomplish this in such a short time. But uh, from the title of your book, we have the politics of affect. So I'd like to ask you to talk a bit about the role of affect in creating ethnic consciousness and what we gain by looking at discourse and affect together. Well,
1: over the last decade and a half, we saw the emergence of this entire wealth of literature on affective thinking. And this literature uh, has really taught us that bodily uh, sensibilities have a decisive role in our cognition. Uh, It turns out that when emotions and reason clash, it is emotions that usually win. Uh, so we need to take account of these findings, of these understandings, because if human behavior is driven by affect and emotion, and if politics and violence are carried out by human beings, uh, then we need, what we need to do is look at different emotional experiences produced in these political processes and evaluate how they give rise to strong ethnic identities. And by this, I do not simply mean those emotions that give a sense to a belonging to an ethnic group, but also sensibilities toward other ethnicities, for example, which can be very friendly in the, in the, in the sense of seeing a, a other ethnic group as, uh, as uh, in, in friendly ways. But it, it can also be uh, in emotions that uh, create fear of other ethnicities, resentments, hatreds, and so on. And just like ethnic nations, these sensibilities are not something that is given. That is not something that stays fixed over time. Again, we need to take into account this dimension of time. These emotions are very responsive to political uh, action. And the fusion of discourse and affect, which I I have tried to do in my book, opens avenues for understanding how political action constructs or creates both uh, intense emotions and the more discrete affective uh, sensibilities, which then shape how we interpret the world. You know what we see today. Uh, when you ask ordinary Bosnians, many of them would try to explain the war by saying, "Oh, you know, Serbs always hated us deep inside," or Serbs might talk about Bosniaks in a similar way, say that Muslims had always evil intentions against Serbs. And I did a lot of research also in Georgia and. I had I encountered similar similar narratives when asking Georgians about their relationship with the Ossetians. So these uh, these narratives are mainstream, these uh they're commonplace, they are popular, but they are also very much wrong and they can, they can be very misleading when it comes to our attempts to understand conflicts. Why? Because it is perfectly possible that during the era of peaceful peaceful interaction during the era Era of intermarriages, etc., of, for example, of Serbs and Bosniaks, of Georgians and Ossetians, and this era was quite long. That these friendships, that these pleasant pleasantries between these ethnic nations, imagined ethnic nations, and even love that caused all these intermarriages were genuinely felt, no less genuine than the resentment and fears amongst those same people that would happen in times of crisis and in times of war that, will, that would uh, ensue later on. So what we need to examine is not to search for some imaginary, real emotions, somewhere deep uh, underneath it all, but to understand how, uh, what changed to create resentment and fear where it had not existed previously and how this was done. And these were very political processes. So, in my work, I pursue answers to these questions by departing from a theoretical understanding that sees identities, institutions, and more generally all political action as phenomena that exist only in discourse. They exist only so far we talk about them, and whose existence depends on this continuous discursive production and uh, reproduction. So. Here, obviously, what matters the most is a discourse of political elites because they have a disproportionate role, they have access to the media, large audiences, and so on. Uh, beyond this, we also need to acknowledge that words, symbols, and performances, all types of dispersive performances, have affective qualities. Uh, they are used, when they are used, they produce emotional uh, reactions and when they are used repeatedly, they can create more durable emotional dispositions, and I discuss that in detail in chapter two of my book. So how is this, why is this so relevant for understanding ethnic conflicts? Well, it is very relevant because in Bosnia, and the Serb ethnic elites were structuring their discourse to create as intense anxiety as possible among Serbs that they were existentially threatened. This is why, for example, I spent considerable time examining the emotional resonance of ceremonies of excavations of, uh, of uh, remains of Serbs that were murdered in World War II and thrown in pits, which were, hap- which were uh, happening prior to the 1990 and 1990 election, uh, and in a way they were a powerful tool for the Serb party to gain as much political pos- uh, power as possible. So this was an important uh, uh, part in this first step which was the design to create existential a- anxiety and if people fear that they are existentially threatened because of a sense of belonging or because they belong to a certain ethnic group a, co- a flip side of this a corollary of this is that the party that their national party emerges as the guardian as savior and and as the savior and similar this is not something limited limited to bosnia similar things were happening elsewhere in georgia for example it was more about a discourse that sought to mobilize not so much fear but to mobilize national pride and also to create resentment towards the ossetians as a foreign element on georgian territory Um, of course in a similar fashion such discourse analysis that draws attention and interprets Emotional qualities of all these discursive performances can be extended uh, extended toward an, an analysis of conflicts worldwide.
0: Mm-hmm. So to sort of dive into the case study that you're looking at, the elections in Bosnia in November 1990, you can sort of take us back there. The first multi-party elections are taking place after 45 years of Yugoslav socialism And the result is that over three quarters of those who voted, voted ethno-nationally. And one thing that I really like in your book is that it doesn't explain this event as the rise of suppressed, inherent nationalisms in the various Yugoslav peoples, but rather explains the emergence of various uh, political and social opportunities and conditions that made nationalism politically viable at that moment in time. So if you could just take us back to the months before the elections and kind of give us a bit of context on how this happened.
1: Well, in November of 1990, it was surely, you know, we have facts, it was surely a landslide victory for the National parties. And it only happened only within five or six months after the national parties were allowed to compete in the elections, after they were even allowed to be formed. So if you just take these two facts into account, then, you know, it would really seem that the eruption of long suppressed mass sentiments was the reason for sport, for things that happened in you know, the processes developed very quickly and indeed many scholars see the bosnian conflict through this lens of suppressed national sentiments but again if we immerse ourselves into the archives without such an assumption and uh we will be able to expose many of the deep flaws of this sort of structural view. Uh, First, the elections were happening in a deeply uh, escalating and radicalizing political context. Uh, By by November of 1990, and even by the summer of 1990, Yugoslavia was already on a firm path to, to disintegration. Croatia held its elections six months prior to Bosnia, and... HDZ, the Croatian National Party, won there. Uh, as a result of that, the Croatian society was rapidly ethnicizing. HDZ uh, began implementing many policies that discriminated against the Croatian Serbs. And then Cre- uh, Croatian Serbs responded with resistance. And already in the summer of 1990, we have what is called uh, what people who have went through this would rem- remember as the log revolution in which Serb majority areas, people in Serb majority areas would create roadblocks by placing logs on roads in order to res- uh, uh, roads in order to resist the uh, reach of the new Croatian government. And all this really served to legitimise Serb nationalism and that is the cause on Serbs to defend against the Croatian threat. And conversely, Croatian national elites were sending similar messages about the Serb threat. So this spiral of two nationalism, these rival nationalism reinforcing one another, even though they were rivals, they, re- they were reinforcing one another, uh, well, this spiral was already very, uh, very advanced and very well on its way. And uh, an important aspect here is that the majority of the Croatian Serbs had voted for the Communist Party rather than the the ethnic Serb Democratic Party of Croatia. And um, this became a major talking point for a Serb Democratic Party in Bosnia. See... Croatian Serbs voted for Croatian communists rather than for their ethnic parties and see what happened. Uh, This still didn't stop Croats from voting for HDZ. So the, the talking point for SDS in Bosnia was do not make this mistake again, do not make this mistake. In Bosnia, you need to vote for your own party, for your own ethnic party. And in fact, you know, I did a lot of, uh, I did about 15 or so elite interviews, interviews with political elites of the time, uh, or political leaders. Uh, Many of them were high ranking members of SDS at the time. And, uh, several of them would uh, uh, actually go as far to say that SDS would have no chance of winning the elections in Bosnia had Croatian nationalists not won in Croatia prior to that. So just another piece of evidence that two nationalisms uh, serve to reinforce one another. Um, One more note that speaks against explanations that reduce the conflict to long-standing suppressed sentiments released from the communist suppression is that we need to feel the pulse of those sentiments. What is the evidence how people felt prior to these processes? And uh, uh, in Bosnia, there was virtually in you know, one of the part of the evidence here would be evidence of resistance and rebellion against the regime, the oppressive, suppressive regime, the regime that suppressed these sentiments in the case of Yugoslavia, that would be the communist regime. In Bosnia, there was virtually nothing on any any larger scale other than some imprisonment of uh, individual dissidents. We can compare this, for example, to Georgia, where there were several repeated rebellions against a harsh Soviet regime, and these were put down by the Soviets in the 50s and the 70s and finally there was a, a last wave in the late 1980s. Uh another way would be to look at the opinion polls and you know there were some conducted at the, be- at the beginning of the of 1990 when when the communist grip on power was already weakening in Yugoslavia and national movements were just being formed. So uh maybe I can here draw some attention to the data uh, to some of the responses. So for example, uh, in April of 1990, only about less than a quarter of Muslims, about 20% of Serbs, believed that religion was not important. Only uh, only that minority believed that religion was important when choosing a marriage partner, for example. About 11% of Serbs, 20% of Muslims about 15% of Croats supported the idea of a common Bosnian nation, 25% of Muslims, 27% of Serbs, and about 19, 19% of Croats supported the abolition of all nations. So, yeah, the, there are, there are uh, validity issues of any poll, including this poll, but these are the numbers we cannot ignore uh we cannot dismiss. So in other words, I'm not denying that there was there were important national sentiments that pre-existed all these processes, in especially to a certain extent and in certain segments of the population. But to use this as a determining factor would damage any attempt for us to understand what happened. Uh, as I said earlier, it would blind us to the role of elites. It would be all structure and no agency. Um, Now, I'm not saying that the the nationalists invented something out of thin air. The resonance of this discourse depended on pre-existing ethnic differentiation that uh, existed prior to national parties. But those differences would not be politically decisive without this agency. And not only this agency, but also the wider political context. Nationalism in Bosnia came later in the process of uh, ethnicization in, in Yugoslavia. Uh, which began in the second half of the 1980s with Milošević's bureaucratic revolution uh, in the context of an economic crisis and uh, escalated really with the victory of Hades in Croatia and on and on. Uh, but take this context away, and SDS nationalism in Bosnia does not go very far. Also, it would not go as far without support of Serbian state media, such as TV Belgrade and political newspaper that were publishing vir- virtually every rally uh, of SDS in Bosnia, report, reported on it, uh, had numerous interviews with Serb leaders in Bosnia on a, on, on a regular basis. And obviously this had uh, an effect in disseminating Serb national discourse in Bosnia uh, quite far. So this is why in my book I have a threefold approach. My, much of the book is discourse analysis uh, obviously with attention to affect but to understand the resonance of this discourse I situated in this broader context that created many political opportunities for nationalist messages that created resonance for these nationalist messages as well as obviously resource uh, mobilization such as the media technologies that disseminated, this, disseminated the discourse uh, widely and frequently.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the I think, pretty novel contributions of your book is that when we look at the three nationalist parties, the SDS, the SDA, the HDZ, when we look at it now, knowing that the Bosnian War happened, it's easy to see these three parties as rivals. But you take us back into the, the pre-election period, the campaign period, and you show that these parties weren't really rivals. They were a sort of coalition. And the rivals were actually the communist and the reform opposition, not each other, uh, could you explain a bit the logic behind this coalition and also describe how this relationship changed after they'd won the election?
1: I would say that the logic is pretty straightforward. Uh, in Bosnia, people's identities were fluid and, and overlapping with all these different, with all the intermarriages and a sense of being a Yugoslav. Ethnic lines were pretty blurred at the time. So in this situation, it only made sense for the National Party to enter into a partnership because for all their differences, they shared an ontology. What do I mean by this? Uh, Ethnicity for them, they also ethnicity as a real natural group and a primary political identity. And all people who could conceivably fall into a given ethnic category, according to all three, should be turned into a homogenous group. So in this sense, primary rivals were all those political options that diverted attention from this goal, the Communist Party and the Reformist Party. Uh, So in this sense, SDS, HDZ, and SDR, you know, the three national parties, they needed one another. The more Muslims homogenize behind SDR, the greater chances for Serbs to homogenize behind SDS, and vice versa. And indeed, when talking to people who voted for nationalists at the time, they would frequently legitimize their vote in negative terms, or uh, in terms of what others would do, not what they actually wanted to do. So, for example, I voted for SDA because I knew Serbs would vote for their ethnic party and vice versa. So, it is summed up with that well Bosnian phrase, uh, which translates as something like each bird flies to its own flock. Um, So you may still argue, okay, but why partnership? You could still uh, achieve this differentiation through competition and fear. Well, in Bosnia, there was a stigma about nationalism uh, at the time in, in the first half of 1990. Uh, during the Yugoslav era, people were socialized into relating nationalism to something almost profane, uh, something that seeks to divide people and create conflict. So the national parties acknowledge this reality and try to present themselves in as benign terms as possible, as parties that were awakening uh, ethnic culture, restoring old identities, and and really important here. They they would argue that they would bring a more genuine peace. Uh, in my book, I actually have a quote by a SDS member of Bosnian presidency Nikola Koljevic, who at one point stated that nationalists would make national parties would make peace more genuine because this 45 year long peace during Yugoslavia was a fake peace in which everyone smiled to to one another but had but had other ideas behind their backs. So the three parties held joint rallies, they invited voters to vote for candidates of other ethnic parties when they could not vote for their own, and once they won in November of 1990, they engaged in celebrations together. uh, you mentioned about brothers and sisters in your question. At the founding assembly of uh, Karadzic, SDS, the, you know, the guest speaker was Ali Zadegović, the leader of, of SDA, and he called Serbs brothers and sisters at that, in, in, in his speech. So this helped them win the elections, and we all know how this pursuit of genuine peace worked out later on. But indeed, as soon as they won the elections, the three parties started fighting, and exposing that there, all these differences that they were largely keeping on the margins prior to the elections. And I document this very heavily in my book. Uh, for example, uh, already at the first session, when the new government was being sworn in, there was a delay about a text of the oath. they disputed the text because of one letter. It used the word demokratia rather than the Croatian version of demokracia and what we have is first session already a dispute between the pre-election partners uh, beyond this the first more consequential dispute was two months later about whether Bosnia should be considered a sovereign state and this issue about Bosnian sovereignty would continue escalate and eventually lead to the breakup of the institutions that sets, that that would later set the stage for war and the point is that this dispute, which would cause disaster in Bosnia, was not new. The parties had, new, uh, had these different views prior to the elections, but they only, I wouldn't say they kept quiet about it, but they kept only minimal reference to it until they came into power.
0: Can you talk a bit about what you call the master frame of the SDS?
1: The concept of a master frame is uh, very important for understanding how discourse produces things. Uh, It's very important as a tool for discourse analysis. You see politicians constantly uh, interpret events in certain ways, and uh, these interpretations are political acts because they are not objective and because they always compete with alternative explanations. Uh, in, er- in the early 1990s, there were many different political events that SDS was interpreting on a daily basis. But all those interpretations are tied together by some master in- in- interpretation, by a large-scale interpretation, and this is what a, what the concept of a master frame actually signifies. Uh, in the case of SDS, the master frame had a uh, frame had two distinct uh, dimensions. I said earlier that national parties treated the imagined ethnic nations as if they were not social imaginaries, but natural and real phenomena existing physically in the world. And this is a very much a commonplace understanding. A nation is imagined metaphorically as if it is an actual living being, an actual living organism. And this was an important part of SDS's discourse. The Serb nation had a head, It had a body, it had a character, just like people do. The head of the nation were its leaders, its intellectuals. And it seemed only natural that SDS would portray itself as this head or the brain, because this is where thinking happens, because brain controls the actions of the body. And um, the body of the nation was not just the Serb masses, but also the geo-body, the territory. And in this sense, Serbia was portrayed as a torso of the organism, while the so-called Serb lands, were well, the, the land, Serb lands beyond Serbia were limbs, and as we know, the, the limbs do not survive without the torso, so all this created uh, uh, this metaphorical representation created the imperative that lands as this defined the Serb in Bosnia must remain attached to the main body, to to Serbia. Um, Beyond this, the nation also had a virtuous, good natured character, uh, but this also meant that the nation was naive, and hence this is why Serbs suffered so much throughout history. And SDS here presented itself as a guardian to ensure that this suffering would not happen anymore, that this naivety would not lead to disaster again. Um, first of all, the fact that many people of Serb ethnic background did not feel their Serb ethnicity to be very important and that that many identified as Yugoslavs meant for SDS that Serbs had been duped or fooled they were naive and being duped by the communists Uh, it was uh, according to them, all a part of a communist conspiracy to destroy the Serb nation because, because it was only Serbs that identified as Yugoslavs and not others, and this is this all showed how uh, naive Serbs were. And what is ironical here is that SDS was telling exactly the same thing to, to their voters, that it was only Muslims who would declare as Yugoslavs. lives. Uh, so if this is a situation, what is the solution? So SDS had to, what it called, awaken the nation in each of these people, awaken the sense of being a Serb, and since the nation was... Nation was natural in SDS's interpretation. This meant waking up this nature that had been quiet, that had been dormant as dormant as a result of these long-standing deceptions. Uh, and of course, SDS here, SDS's discourse here was uh, contradictory. Uh, I wrote a separate paper uh, that came out of this research uh, that. Uh, that's entitled, We Are Teaching Serbs to Be Serbs, analyzing Radovan Karadzic's discourse, uh, in this statement really speaks volumes uh, about this uh, contradictory nature or the absence of this logic in how the nation was being portrayed and what SDS was doing. Uh, SDS was teaching Serbs to be Serbs by showing them how to attend the church, how to celebrate holidays, teaching them about its ethnic history, about its heroes, writers, points. And the point that I would make here is it remains unclear why such education was needed. Why was it necessary if being a Serb was something that was natural? At at one hand, you'd call it natural. At the other hand, you're you're socially constituting it, you're socially creating it. Uh, The second part of the master frame, frame, and I'll just briefly talk about it, was the master interpretation of the political moment. And this was uh, very much connected to the body politic and the portrayal of the nation as an organism. Uh, SDS would explain that Yugoslav nations were these bodies with uh, organisms with incompatible interests and the at, that the only solution would be their separation their demarcation but that demarcation could not follow the existing political units you know there was no respect for the existing borders of Yugoslav republics which were federal units uh, so the imperative here was that the Serbs in Bosnia remain in the same state with Serbia so they portrayed the creation of state border, between Serbia and Bosnia, which would result as independence of Bosnia, uh, through through independence of Bosnia, as as a knife that would cut, as they call it, that would cut the living flesh of the Serb nation. So just try to think about it for one minute, and how a border checkpoint in which you show an ID, passport, not even a passport anymore. Right now we have the reality, you just show an ID, it's a very... It, it's a border crossing that doesn't uh, um, doesn't necessarily take ma- a lot of time to cross, uh, and this border checkpoint was through this metaphorical association associated with pain and blood, and uh, it fit it fit in perfectly with the wider attempts to create as much anxiety as possible and to really motivate Serbs to fight against Bosnian independence as if it is something that would existentially endanger them. Mm.
0: So you talked a bit earlier, as well as now, about the, the sense of existential anxiety that the SDS was trying to create. Could you just give a few more examples, perhaps, from your book about how the SDS made use of affect to recruit Serbs into the party and then later in order to mobilize them for a war?
1: Uh, well, a great deal of the answer to this question comes from fear production that I mentioned uh, earlier, with pit excavations, constant threats that Serbs are under the danger of being destroyed by Croat Ustasha by Islamic fundamentalists, that independent Croatia would be another fascist state similar to the World War II and they had that committed genocide against Serbs, that in independent Bosnia Serbs would be subjugated and second rate citizens just like they were during the five centuries long Ottoman uh, occupation. And all these were the themes of a discourse that produced a great deal of anxiety and a great deal of resentment. And again, again, there is a neglect of the dimension of time in this interpretation as well. Uh, It was a discourse that did not see any novelty in the situation of the early 1990s. 1991, for SDS was the same as 1941. And this is really how history mattered in, cre- in creating the Bosnian tragedy, tra- uh, tragedy. History itself was not being repeated in some mysterious automatic fashion as people like to believe. But the history did offer resources for the political agents such as SDS to create a sense that it is being repeated and if you're able to create this perception it almost turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy because it was a very difficult and very painful past the past that left a legacy of memories and left a legacy of resources for nationalists to create a discourse that circulates anxieties and resentments very effectively and my book gives many example of this discourse which includes not only political statements but also art poetry, visual representations, including cartoons, pictures, they all serve to directly connect the political moment of the 1990s to events that happened half a century ago, and even further back in the past, to the era of the Ottoman occupation. Um, throughout the this two-year period prior to the Bosnian War that I researched this feared discourse would accumulate and be legitimized by the events that actually were happening. In 1991, the war in Croatia erupted uh, in full intensity. Cities were destroyed. Bosnia was affected by this huge influx of refugees. Um, the bodies of killed soldiers were being transported to Bosnian towns. The Yugoslav army, regular troops and reservists would... Uh, launch operations from the Bosnian territory, and, you know, the entire republic was very heavily militarized. And all this served to make the fear discourse more palpable. And finally, as the political process resulted in the collapse of the state, collapse of Yugoslavia, uh, It resulted in the breakup of institutions that had been the source of stability and security. You know that uh, Weberian definition of a state as an entity with monopoly on the legitimate use of force, where here this monopoly fragmented. And uh, as a result, the security situation deteriorated and people ran for the safety of an ethnic group. People would migrate to towns in which their ethnicity made up a numerical majority, for example. <clears throat> this was happening many, many months prior to the Bosnian War already as a result of the events in Croatia, although it was happening on a more sporadic basis. Um, and in the case of SDS, the party had supported the Yugoslav, Mar- uh, Yugoslav army, which had become firmly dominated by Serbs in 1991. And as a result, uh, it had the party SDS had access to weaponry, which it would distribute distribute to the Serb population. So in this situation, the mixture of anxiety and resentment that was to a large extent created by nationalist elites were enough for people to seek protection through armed, uh, through armed uh, mobilization.
0: So one more strand of your book that I'd like to pull out, which I very much appreciated because it was something that always confused me. Uh, you discuss how SDS rhetoric drew on both Serb nationalism and uh, Yugoslovansia or Yugoslavism even though these were very contradictory. Could you discuss a bit how these two strands were blended in the rhetoric and why the SDS drew on both of them?
1: Well, this use of Yugoslavian only serves to confirm that Yugoslav identity was something uh, important to the Bosnian population and that it was something that we as scholars need to take seriously. And um, I will make a little digression here to say that it is uh, misleading to state that Bosnia separated from Yugoslavia even though that's some, this is something that is a commonplace, typical understanding, almost counterintuitive. But Bosnia was most, the most Yugoslav of all the republics. The majority of Bosnians, I would argue, would never vote for secession from the second Yugoslavia, Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. This Yugoslavia had a model for its existence, and this model collapsed well prior to the Bosnian vote for independence. This country was dead by the Bosnian vote for independence. Uh, by this time, in February of 1992, Croatia and Slovenia were independent, uh, and what was left of Yugoslavia was only, you know, the rump Yugoslavia was only Yugoslavia in name. Uh, it was not any reasonable union of South Slavs. It was a country in which, obviously, Serbia had a dominant position so the name was there but the essence was not only the form remain and uh, later on uh, this would continue this attempt to call what was uh, left of Yugoslavia as a continuation of Yugoslavia it would continue through the formation of the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, that was actually a union of Serbia and Montenegro. And this was finally, the signifier of Yugoslavia was finally dropped from the name in the, only in the 2000s. But it all, this resistance, this durability of the signifier uh, uh, tells us about its importance. So, uh, going back to your question on the blend of ethno nationalism and Yugoslavia and Yugoslavianstvo, or Yugoslavism, uh, it testifies that the signifier of Yugoslavia was paired to sensibilities that were intensely positive. By deploying the name, you create a positive reaction. Uh, And it happened to such an extent that even non-Serbs, and many people forget this, even non-Serbs initially supported Milosevic's anti-bureaucratic revolution, crackdown against Albanian uprising, Albanian separatism in Kosovo, and so on, precisely because he framed it as a defense of Yugoslavia. You no, know, my father was, for example, an uh, initial support, uh, uh, support of, supporter of Milosevic in this initial stage. Uh, there were also many examples of non-Serbs who fought in Croatia, as members of the Yugoslav army because they saw it as a defense of Yugoslavia against Croatian separatists. And also many Serbs would be more supportive of policies if they were also seen as a protection of Yugoslavia. So this blend, to sum it up, this blend was created to widen the resonance of Serb political agenda. The agenda was for Serbs to remain in the same state rather than to be split into different ethnic republics. And, uh, to be le- legitimized easier under the cover of what they called what Serb leaders, Serbian leaders at the time called, uh, under the cover of preserving Yugoslavia for the people that wanted, rather to rather than to explicitly state that the fight was for enlarging the borders of Serbia. Uh, of course, this could not motivate m- motivate non-Serbs indefinitely, and Milosevic and other leaders began abandoning areas of Yugoslavia that they were not interested in interested in for their rump Yugoslavia and it would become more and more difficult to legitimise Serb nationalism with the discourse of protecting Yugoslavia and hence in in later stages this Yugoslavenstvo lost its mobilizing power and the commonplace uh, the rhetorical commonplace of Yugoslavenstvo was was dropped.
0: Well, we've taken up a lot of your time, so I just have a final question. I would like to ask about Bosnia in the present. So the SDS succeeded in creating a Serb statelet inside Bosnia, uh, Republika Srpska, and pulled up some statistics in terms of population demographics. This area was 55% Serb population before the war and is now 82%. So to what extent is the master frame of the SDS alive and well today, and what kind of affective flows are keeping it intact now?
1: It's uh, very much alive and well. Uh, The master frame has solidified into a commonplace understanding, even though this is a modified master frame from the one that dominated Serb nationalist discourse in the early 1990s that I talked about earlier. And this modification happened precisely because Republika Srpska had been created during the war, and then its existence as a geopolitical unit, as a Bosnian entity, legitimized in the Dayton Peace Accords. Prior to 1992, Republika Srpska did not exist. Uh, since then, it has taken the place of that living Serb body in Serb national discourse in the sense that it is portrayed as an organism whose integrity and whose vitality must be protected at all costs. And the pleasures and pains of the Serb nation are in contemporary discourse metaphorically transposed as pleasures and pains of Republika Srpska. And uh, Srpska being a feminine noun seems here to resemble a motherland or a mother that is in need of constant that is in a constant threat and in need of protection. And all those who call Republika Srpska a genocidal creation, for example, and demand its abolition are effectively amplifying these rallying calls uh, that call on Serbs to rise up in in, in its defense. And this is why this is actually an important stage in this conversation, I think, because uh, i The discourse analysis focused on discourse, and uh, here is an example of why names are so important. None of this would be possible, and none of this would have such emotional resonance had the smaller Bosnian entity not been given the name that enshrines ethnicity. And these labels are decisive for the direction of Bosnian politics today. Because when words, when the word Srpska is used, some Bosnians hear mass graves, others hear a dear motherland uh, in, in demand of nourishing and protection. So this is this emotional polarization stemming from the past that will, in my opinion, continue to be a source of division in Bosnia. Uh, despite the many more pressing issues for the livelihoods of an average citizen of Bosnia. This emotional polarization will continue to bring ethnic politics to the forefront. Uh, In this context, I can't help but think of, uh, just to illustrate it, of a recent ceremony in Banja Luka that celebrated the 9th of January, the disputed holiday that is marked as the day of Republika Srpska, and in that ceremony, there was a choir of uh, elementary school ch- children on stage stating repeatedly, I am Srpska, I am Srpska. And such performances develop deep-level identifications with the imagined national organism called Srpska. And similar processes are happening on the uh, on the other side, in the sense that only a few months later, I, I attended a different ceremony in Sarajevo. And again, we have a choir of middle school ch- children singing songs. and But this time they were singing songs about being ready to sacrifice themselves for Bosnia, for the integrity of Bosnia, which, of course, includes Republika Srpska. So these clashing discourses with deep, affective reson- resonance in Young school children make it difficult to imagine that Bosnia will somehow move beyond ethnic politics anytime soon, as pessimistic as this may sound.
0: A sad note to end our interview on, but, but thank you so much for your time and for being my first guest here on the show. Uh, yeah, thank you very much.
1: Thank you again for having me.
0: So that was Adis Maxich talking about his book Ethnic mobilization, violence, and the politics of affect, the Serb Democratic Party, and the Bosnian War, out at Palgrave Macmillan.